1: first gen nation hope you guys doing well i'm actually recording this intro right before i leave for work this morning i found that you know i have i have like i must have some level of like narcolepsy that's totally kent diagnosed by the way but uh you talk to people who know me well enough you know you've probably even heard jake joke about it before that whenever we go hunting together and uh he has to drive i fall asleep on the way back It it always happens. It always happens. But um, I have found that if I try and just stay up late and gut through these things, I cannot put two thoughts together. So I woke up a little bit early today and thought, you know what, I'm going to get this thing ready to roll right before I leave for work. So that's what I'm doing. I'm looking out my east window right now at just this incredible Iowa sunrise here in the beautiful Hawkeye State, the former Prairie State, although Illinois really claimed that title first. But uh, yeah, when I when I look around me, you know, there's just so many signs of beauty to see this this uh, time of year here in this state. And uh, we just had some crazy weather. We were uh, hunkering down in our basement on uh, Wednesday evening as some really severe windstorms swept across our state in much of the Midwest both northern Midwest and southern Midwest and uh, you know just a, a reminder of how powerless we are in the grand scheme of things but uh, there's still so much beauty to behold in nature and I feel privileged to uh, be looking at that this morning while I'm talking to you well this episode hopefully speaks to a few of you in a maybe a way that makes you feel a little bit more positive about your circumstances. When you start talking about hunting the late season with deer hunters, unless they are traditional muzzle loader, you know late season muzzle loader hunters like my brother Jake who kind of has to do that because of his work schedule, I've hunted that season before. I actually really enjoy hunting that season. Um, it just worked out better this year with the arrival of my daughter, which by the way, my, in the last episode, I that uh, uh, was aired, I talked about how we were getting ready to go and uh, uh, you know meet my baby girl. She was going to be born, and within you know the next 24 hours. And I never put in the intro uh, that she made it here, and she did. She's healthy, great. She's so far. Don't tell my other kids, but she's been our easiest baby so far. Little Miss Helena Kate and uh the name helena means light and um montana as you may well know is one of my most favorite states and uh i don't know i think there's something inside of probably uh, a lot of our ancestors that came into the midwest and and uh you know uh, slowly migrated from eastern countries or even eastern states that kind of kept their eyes set west and uh you know, had that light, that light of hope as they saw new opportunities and everything else. So the name Helena just felt felt fitting for uh, a, a meaningful name for our family. And uh, we're just so grateful to have her. God has been good to us. My wife, Caitlin's doing great. So uh, really uh, some big news here. But no, as we uh, look at this uh, late season for deer hunting it can be kind of a a situation where people are a little uh i don't know annoyed that they're in that situation they're maybe frustrated with themselves they lost out on some opportunities they um uh, maybe had some misses during archery season um maybe they they um maybe they even hunted if your state allows you to hunt like uh rifle season plus a late muzzleloader season maybe the rifle season didn't go well or something maybe you're sick down with covid whatever it was there can be a lot of reasons why people end up in the late season they don't want to be there and they feel like all hope is lost but i'm here to tell you that the opposite is true there are some excellent opportunities that can still be taken advantage of here in late december and even up through uh january depending on when your state ends uh deer season and uh if you listen to what brian rusk has to say here now he's gonna we're gonna spell this out he's talking from the context of hunting the big woods but there's still a lot of principles here That can be transitioned over to wherever you're chasing whitetails. A lot of what's going to be key now is finding the. you know connecting the dots first of all what makes sense from a food and cover standpoint but then also looking at what is that fresh sign and that sign may not just always be deer sign as he's going to talk about there's sometimes you know there could be some human activity maybe some some uh, logging that's been going on or or, uh, maybe some farm operations that have been going on that have kind of made it more favorable for deer to be in one spot as opposed to another but taking what we have around us right now brian's going to really point us to how we look at that and uh, how we make the most of it so i hope this episode is helpful for you it was super helpful for me to uh, listen to it and hey i'm one of those guys with a couple of late season bow tags in my pocket still got one for illinois and one for iowa that i gotta try and fill here before the season wraps up but this one's as much for for uh, me as it is for you hope you enjoy the advice hope it's helpful thank you so much for tuning in here to episode 75 three quarters of a century here on the first gen hunter podcast thank you I hear there is snow already in the frozen north. Today I, oh, was, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was uh I was heading back. I was heading back from uh, a taxidermy uh visit. I had a uh old euro mount that was ready to uh get picked up. In fact, I believe it to be the first buck I ever shot. And uh you guys know if you've been listening to the show long enough that That doesn't have to be that long ago because I'm a first-gen hunter. And uh, so this was – I think it was – oh, boy. I think it was uh, January of 2018 during the late muzzleloader season. It was either then or it could have been uh, December, late December of 2017, one of the two. Uh, I think that's when it was. But, uh, yeah, it was sitting out there in the woods for over two years, Um, Jake and I, of course, we, you know, the story. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, we, uh, tracked this buck for about five hours after we shot it. And, uh, every time we get close, he'd get up and bump again. We were a couple of first gen first genners out there stumbling through the woods. Didn't give the buck enough time to, to knock off. But you know what? If it truly is him, because we ended up bumping him so far away from, uh, Where he originally went down Um, I think he probably lived for another day or two At least And circled back and died on the farm Right, but not too far from where he first bedded down And uh, I had that skull done Up at the taxidermist Got it back today And I also got the meat back From uh, uh, the buck I shot in October this year And I wasn't able to uh, go grab that today And on my way back I called up uh, my cousins, my twin cousins, who like to deer hunt in kind of southern Wisconsin, southwest Wisconsin. You'll probably know right where they're at, Brian. They're um uh, near uh oh, what's the town? Maybe kind of like Hillsboro area of uh, Wisconsin. I can't remember the name of their county. Does that sound familiar to you, Brian?
0: Yeah, it's not bell actually.
1: Say it again. It's not ringing
0: not, ringing, not a ringing a bell
1: yeah i think it's kind of uh oh uh camp douglas area um okay Toma, fort mccoy kind of that general yep, yep part of the state no nope. uh but uh they they said they had some snow today yeah like a half inch or an inch so uh how much you guys got way up there on the northern end of the state
0: you know it's it varying a little bit here and there but uh same thing woke up this morning had maybe a dusting inch of snow on the ground. And, uh, it was warm this afternoon. Actually, it's still 35 degrees right now. And, uh, a lot of it melted off. So in, in the woods, it's patchy. Um, we don't have a bunch of snow yet. It's been a pretty mild, uh, you know, fall so far.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We haven't, we've had only a few flurries here in Iowa. And in fact, um, you know, I, I guess I, you This has just been such a crazy year for my family. Brian knows that uh, we just added a a child to our family this week. Uh, Our daughter, Helena, Helena Kate, uh, came in and blessed our lives on Wednesday. So far, the perfect baby. You know, it's only like a few days in though. So that could all change in a moment's notice. (laughs) It'll (laughs) it'll change. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, uh, but anyways, within all that craziness, I I guess, you know, besides like checking to see what the weather's going to be on the day of the week that I can get out and hunt and see if I got a nice cold front coming or not. um, I haven't really been paying too close of attention until I saw a video from our buddy Alex Gruen. And he went deer hunting in uh, kind of north-central Michigan. And there was quite a bit of snow on the ground there. So, yeah, it has been. A, I agree with Brian. It's been a pretty mild winter here. And, uh, in fact, this week it's been in the 60s. I, I think we even set a record. I think we hit like 66 degrees on Wednesday. And it's been 60s and high 50s all week. And that temperature is going to kind of dump off tomorrow just in time for uh general gun season here in iowa and uh i'm thinking a lot of bucks are probably going to be hitting the dirt this weekend and so uh that was one of the reasons why i ran to the i ran to uh get my meat from the processor today because i knew that they were being kind and gave me a little bit of extra time to pick it up because of my situation with the baby coming and they're going to have freezers that need space coming up for this weekend so
0: yeah yeah we're 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 just winding down from our our rifle season ended uh Sunday and now we're into the muzzleloader season. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, I was going
1: to ask you about that. That's And so yeah. and so yeah. uh can you just let's kind of start there and then we'll kind of backtrack a little bit. I know everyone's probably like who is this Brian guy that he keeps talking. We'll, we'll introduce <laughs> him here in a second, but while we're on that topic of gun hunting in Wisconsin, that is a different situation. Than most places I've come to gather. Like it is a, it is a national or not a national, but a state holiday in Wisconsin. It oh, yeah. seems like gun season for deer. Is that, is that an accurate way to describe it?
0: It is a very, uh, it's a strong traditional gun season. Um, you know, the camaraderie, all the, all the deer shacks, all the guys getting together. It is, um, it always falls the, the week of Thanksgiving. So it opens the Saturday before Thanksgiving and generally, you know, it goes all the way through and, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Uh, yeah. people, you know, fam- it's a big family tradition, you know, for, for many families up in this area anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely picked up on that. I went to college in Wisconsin, so I was kind of around it, uh, but I wasn't hunting then. And as I just was talking about, I do have family up in Wisconsin that always participates in that. So I've definitely gotten a taste of that. And, of course, you see other guys, you know, on YouTube and stuff from Wisconsin. They kind of highlight some of the festivities that go along with that. And it just makes me think, you know, when you're in Wisconsin, even if, let's say you're in Wisconsin on like a totally non-hunting day of the year, like, say, July 15th nothing to be hunted on July 15th in Wisconsin, but you still know that you're in hunting country on July 15th in Wisconsin. I mean, there's just signs of it everywhere. It is a hunter's state. And you hear all the time about, I think, isn't it? Pennsylvania has the highest hunter density or something like that.
0: I believe, I believe so. Yep.
1: And, and Michigan's right up there too. Like, you know, Kind of, I just can't imagine a place that is more hunter centric than uh, Wisconsin. So those places have to be absolutely crazy during hunting season.
0: <laughs> but, and it's it's crazy for me because I've been in that family. I have a hunting shack with my uncles and some family friends. And, sure, uh, but over the years, I don't rifle hunt. Uh, I I probably hung the rifle up. I still buy a tag occasionally and go sure. out just for the camaraderie of it. But, uh, I tend to be more of a bow hunter and I, I like to sit with the bow. So I actually kind of dread rifle season a little bit. And, uh, but, you know it's still a lot of fun you can go to the oh, shacks yeah. hang out with your buddies play cards i lose all my money cuz i'm not a good card player <laughs> so
1: <laughs> yep yeah. well hey, if uh, you were yeah. if you were hunting uh... it, you'd, you'd be losing all your money too right that's what that's what hunting does to yep. us. <laughs> i know I've, i know i've stated it before on here before but um uh the there's a funny meme where this kids like trudging through a uh, duck pond With his uh, dad, they're, like, hauling a big bag of decoys or something, and, and, you know, they make, like, a little speech blurb coming out of the sun. He's like, Dad, is there any way to become a millionaire uh, through hunting? And the dad is like, yes, by starting out as a billionaire. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) yeah, that is so true. And uh, rifle season can definitely uh, do that. You got to have all that extra blaze orange gear and and then all the other stuff that goes along the side of it like you were talking about the traditions the you know the the yeah. the favorite diner everybody goes to the you know all the snacks for uh deer camp and everything else so yeah you know and, and being a first gen hunter i've only had little tastes of that and usually it's it's kind of been on accident, you know, where I just invite a bunch of guys to go hunting with me or something. And then we kind of get a deer camp thing going, but I've never been a part really of a traditional, you know, deer camp setup. And so it's, it's interesting to, to see that from the perspective of an outsider, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. When I was a, a bit younger, I mean, it, it started, uh, rifle season always started the Thursday before rifle opener uh, you'd you'd go from bar to bar register for uh, buckboards you know okay yeah. have every 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 place every staff every establishment had a, a buckboard and you'd get on the buckboard and and that's what you did you just went from one to the other and got on the buckboards and hung out with your buddies and then uh, the Friday before the opener we always do a big breakfast you know we go out somewhere and hang out and have breakfast and then it just, it rolled right into the weekend and, yeah uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, like I said, uh, you know, my camp has gotten a little older and we're just not as, uh, you know, we, we don't go out, we don't stay up as late as we used to. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's still a good, the camaraderie is a lot of fun. yeah uh, so it's, it's a lot more than hunting. It's just good friends are, you know, a lot of good friendships and everything are built that way. So
1: yeah uh, i love that that's that's uh the kind of thing that really keeps people engaged for the long term you know because uh if it was all about just that trigger pull or whatever you know i can see how how some folks might drift away from it but uh they don't they keep coming back because of all that other stuff that goes into the hunt that that makes it a lot of fun and and you mentioned this too as a bow hunter you know um not that there's no challenge at all to rifle hunting. You still gotta know what you're doing to to be a successful rifle hunter for sure. But the level of detail that you have to pay attention to within the woods and really becoming a part of the woods to get yourself into bow range of an animal uh, that is as good at surviving as the white-tailed deer that mm-hmm. that also keeps you around. You know that that yep. that chess match
0: is what uh
1: keeps people around too it's
0: constant for me (laughs) you ever ask my wife it's a it's a constant (laughs) i'm i'm always i'm always looking at maps looking at the wind you know trying to figure out my next step and uh you know most (laughs) of the time the buck most of the time the buck wins so he (laughs) uh he survives and and I get to and I get to chase him in uh, another year. So. Yep, that's
1: right, and that's what that's what makes it fun too. If we won all the time, there wouldn't be any left. So, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's fun that we have such a worthy opponent. And uh, you know that that what you just said there made me think of another. I, I'm I'm gonna like. Meme people out here, but I saw another funny post once. It was like, I wonder if the deer are thinking about me as much as I am thinking about them. <laughs> that is that is so no. tr- true. When you really think about how much of your thoughts every day are directed towards, you know, a sp- a specific buck or two that you got your eye on, or just, you know, I wonder if there's going to be any deer moving past this stand on this day. You know, it's it's uh, it, it can definitely dominate our thoughts, but. You know, before we get too far down the rabbit trail here, though, we do need to introduce who I have on the line with me tonight. And this voice may sound a little bit familiar to you. And I'm just going to say a little bit because we've only heard a little bit of it. And that time that you would have heard it would have been in our uh, our our best episode that we've we've ever had here on the podcast our most popular episode. And um, I think that that just just speaks to how great of a person this episode was about is mr zach Pulaski, the late mr zach Pulaski, who uh came on the show back in uh july and um and uh, we just had a great time talking with him gave us some great uh deer hunting uh tips on there and also just told his story and at the end of that episode um just uh uh a 20-minute segment or so of Zach's closest friends and family um, uh, came on and, and gave some of their time and shared some of their favorite stories that they had uh, with and about Zach. And um, Brian, I think, was the first voice you would have heard on that 20-minute segment, if I remember correctly. And uh, so, yeah, Brian. I not
0: don't, I don't remember. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, Brian Rusk is who uh, I'm talking to tonight, and um, you know we would be we would be uh, wrong to not just talk about Zach here for a second. What a special person he was, and um, you know I think about him, I, even though I never met the guy in person. Through talking with him a couple different times in preparation for the episode, a little bit afterwards, and of course during the interview, I think about Zach a lot. I, I, uh, I, it, it just makes me think to be
0: close to that guy. Like you guys were to know him so well. Um, if you like to, if you like to hunt, you know, anyway, Zach would love you and he, you, uh, you'd probably hit it off with him pretty dang good. So, um, yeah, 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 I sense that immediately. It's 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 been, uh, you know, we, we were lucky. We were able to get him out to Colorado. Uh, he Mm -hmm. got back out there. With the help of uh good friend, Matt Mackey, and uh, they drove him out and uh, they, he, he had to use oxygen most of the time. He really didn't get to, you know, elk sure. hunt, but he got to experience the mountains again. He did sit, I think once or twice, but they, oh, uh, all right. you know, they did a little bit of road hunting with the uh, truck for grouse. And I, I don't remember how many he got, but he shot a bunch of grouse with his oh, bow. Oh, very nice. Um, with his bow? we had a real... Yeah, he killed a bunch with the bow, you know, on a, a judo <laughs> oh. judo tip, and I think he got a few with the shotgun too. But uh, they, he was he was having fun, and uh, we all had a good hunt out there. Uh, and yeah, he passed away uh, shortly after we got back at the end of September.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, it was a tough tough deal for all of us. Uh, good yeah. group of guys, and we all we all took it hard the day he passed away, I decided I was just going to go hunt. I was going to sit in a tree and the wind wasn't perfect. I was just going to go out and didn't care. And, uh, figured maybe I'd get lucky and he'd send me a big buck. And he actually did.
2: Oh yeah. The
0: joke, yeah. The joke was on me though, because I totally blew the shot and missed this giant buck. And, uh, so that was my joke with the guys that, you know, Zach sent me a huge buck and, uh, the joke was on me, you know, he just wanted to watch me, he wanted to watch me miss one more time, so, (laughs) and, uh, well, that's, that's kind of how I'm, I'm rolling into late season now, still chasing deer, because, uh, I blew it early, so, uh, it happens.
1: Man, you you could be a podcast host man that was an excellent uh transition there (laughs) because that's exactly what we're (laughs) talking about tonight we're talking about the late season but but yeah that is that is uh it's just good to to kind of get that closure as somebody who's on the outside of that relationship with with zach you know observing that special bond that all of you guys up there had with each other and um you know just kind of knowing uh how that elk trip went. It was fun to follow along with and the bits and pieces that were shared on, uh, social media. And, um, I, I did hear just, uh, I, I want to give a little shout out to Matt Mackey. You know, you're the second, second or third person who mentioned that to me, just, uh, how much, uh, Matt really played into helping, uh, Zach get on that last trip to Colorado and, and really just, uh, yeah, he, just stayed he, uh, alongside of him the whole time, right?
0: yeah, he took time off from work and uh you know was dedicated, drove him out there, uh made sure he was comfortable. I mean, Matt was kind of you know his his uh right hand man the whole time we were out there because the rest of us were up in the mountains trying to kill elk and mm-hmm. yeah matt uh Matt was just there for Zach, and it you know I know it meant the world this. To- Zach and, uh, you know, it was, meant the world, to all of us. Cause he helped get them out there. And then on the way home, uh, another buddy, Steve Amos, uh, took off and he and Matt and Zach all headed home. And so that was, uh, unfortunately for me, you know, I said goodbye in Colorado and told him, yeah, we'll, we'll get together when we get back and, you know, got back home, got finally got settled in, you know, I mean, a week goes by pretty quick and Mhm. Yeah, he, he he only made it a couple more weeks after that. So mm. um my my last goodbye to him was actually in Colorado and uh, I think about that a lot, you know, it's yeah. kind of sad, but at the same time, you know, kind of good. It, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. You were uh, saying goodbye good, in a sp- good in a space of- in a space that was special yeah. to both of you, doing something that was Oh yeah. I mean, just incredible that he was able to make that trip in the health uh, with, with such challenging health circumstances that he had there towards the end. And, and, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything to feel bad about there that that's special that, that you guys could uh, share that and, and, um, have that memory. So yeah, that's, it's really good to hear, hear the closure on that story, you know, to, to know that, um, he had a, had a good trip and, and, um, of course we we wish like crazy was still here and um you know and and just uh you know that no one had to face the sadness that that went through that but we know that uh zach lived it his best way you know
0: yeah as a tribute to zach i mean he just he put it out there i mean he he wasn't just going to lay down and uh he hunted. I mean, even when he got back from Colorado, I don't remember how many times he sat, but somebody had, uh, transferred a bear tag in his name and he, he sat on the bear stand a couple of times before. Oh, I mean, he, wow. He, he was, he hunted right up till the end. I mean, it was, uh, he did what he loved. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, kind of bittersweet, but I you not know. I'm glad he got to experience it again. And, you know, I'm glad he sent me a big buck. I at least got to see it and I missed it and now I'm chasing late season deer. (laughs) (laughs) That's right.
1: Well, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. the late season is, is a time of year that is unique, but you know what? I think it's kind of like, um, I don't know what a good term for it. Maybe like a more reliable version of October or maybe, maybe an October that, that, uh, gives you, um, some like longer, windows of time to to actually see the deer out and about and uh i say that because once the rut comes around deer are so unpredictable you know for where where they could be that it, it can almost be kind of frustrating to hunt in november just because you know you can't you can't like and the word patterning deer is it's a phrase I shouldn't say the word the term patterning deer is something that I don't know it's probably a little bit overused and a little bit um idealistic as to what we're able to do with a wild animal but they are certainly more uh predictable on where they're going to be before the rut and I think again if they survive the rut they survive the rifle season uh, I think they're during that late season back to being a little bit more predictable where they're going to be hanging out so yeah Yeah. that's that's uh kind of what we're going to be hitting tonight but before we do that um brian you've had kind of an interesting background in hunting you've done some writing uh you've been the man behind the camera for some uh pretty big hunts and um you have a unique career that allows you to be in the deer woods a whole lot more often than the rest of us and so I kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit. What, what have you done as far as writing and your, your as far as your writing and your uh, camera work goes within uh, deer hunting?
0: You know, I uh, started out, you know, I, I basically, my background is I went to school for forestry. So I, okay. I worked most, most of my career, I worked in uh, Northern Minnesota, Northern Wisconsin as a forester or forest technician, depending cool on job. where I was. <laughs> And, uh, early on, I always wanted to write a article. I always wanted to be published in bow hunter magazine for sure. whatever reason. I, I used to really enjoy Dwight shoes, uh, articles and he was the editor of the magazine at the time okay. and I, I shot a pr- pretty nice buck and, uh, decided I was going to write a story about it and I honestly didn't think. I had any chance of it getting published, but it, sure. it got published. And, uh, um, so I just started kind of becoming, a a freelance a little bit. I would, I would write an occasional story here and there and I'm, I'm somebody that really needs to be, uh, I, I have to have a good story in my head and I can sit down and hammer it out. I don't know if I could ever write all the time. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I'd probably have writer burnout or <laughs> or whatever, but if 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 I've got a good story in my head or I had a great hunt, I mean, I can sit down, type out an article and, uh, you know, I've been able to have them published. I've been published in Bull Hunter Magazine, North American Whitetail, Big Buck Magazine. And, uh, a lot of the stories aren't always, uh, about deer I've killed, but other people that have killed Big Bucks and approached sure. me, you know, that they would like to try and uh get the story published and uh so I had good success and I don't remember what year it was what it was early on back when uh bull hunter magazine was first starting their t v show uh they were having trouble with the cameramen they the people that they were using were uh they had degrees in you know uh photography and but they really didn't have a hunting background. And so, mm. uh, it wasn't, it wasn't working out real good. So I, I got an email from, uh, from Dwight. I think it was a mass email and just to a few of the writers asking if anybody would be interested in, uh, trying to run the camera. And I thought, yeah, that that sounds fun. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wrote them wrote, wrote him, back and said, I'll def I'm definitely interested in that. And so, uh, they sent me out to Oregon where I stayed with Larry D Jones and, uh, he kind of went through the basics of running a camera and kind of the background of what Bowhunter TV was going to be about and how they sure. wanted to run it. And, um, yeah, from there on kind of, I mean, that was 18 years ago, 19 years ago. Um, I've got to travel all over and, you know, I don't do it full-time, so I'm a, basically a freelance. And, um, if they're full-time guys are committed to go somewhere else, they might call me up and see if I can do a hunt. And so, yeah, I've got to hunt some unique places with, uh, you know, I have been in the magazine, uh, world for a long time. So I yeah. kind of feel blessed to be able to have done some of that.
1: Yeah. That's really so, cool. That's, so that's, yeah. that's like, uh, you know, that's like a dream come true for a lot of deer hunters, you know, to, to just see how that, that felt, you know, fell together there for you. That's, that's really a, that's really cool. And there's a lesson to be learned there too. You know, you had a dream, you know, get published and you pursued that and, uh, you know, it just kind of kept opening doors after that. So yeah, that's really cool, man. That's kind of,
0: kind of funny at one time. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to, uh, on the opposite side of the camera I, I wanted to be the, the hunter and yeah. uh, but the more the more I got involved and as time has progressed I'm I'm glad that I didn't really get that side of it um <laughs> I like the photographer I like the photography I'm a I'm a decent photographer and I have an eye for it and but uh with social media and all the stuff that goes along with being that famous person, I guess I'm kind of glad I got to be in the background. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know that I would enjoy fame, (laughs) you know, so (laughs) in in a way I'm, in a way I'm blessed that I just got to be a a deer hunter. And most of the time I can walk through, you know, an airport or any event and nobody's going to recognize me. So Oh, uh, that's
1: good <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know there there is something to be said for that and i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because it it helps answer a question that i've had for a long time you know is like uh when they when you watch those any hunting show really uh you and you know there's a cameraman there it's like uh does that guy like to hunt too? I wonder, you know, do when they're done, uh, when they're done tagging yep. the, the big buck for the, the main personality of the show, does that guy then get a turn or <laughs> did you, did you ever have any hunts like that where a guy tagged out early and you also had a tag? So then you got a hunt while you guys were, you know, no. off in a trophy buck state or something like that.
0: No, not, not in the situations I was in most of the time, like, uh, one of the best hunts or one of the funnest hunts we, did a spring bear hunt. I think I did it five years in a row and it was spring bear hunt up in Saskatchewan at Buck Country Outfitters and uh, Buck Country Outfitters is known for big deer, but they got great bears too. And so normally we'd, we would tag out and uh, then we'd get our fishing license and we'd go fish. So you're up in Canada, you're up in Canada fishing and it doesn't get any better than that. So uh, that, that was that's probably one of the best hunts, you know, that I enjoyed, uh, cause you'd sleep in, you didn't have to, you didn't hunt in the morning. So it was sure. an evening hunt. and it, it was a very relaxing hunt to, to film. And, uh, sure. you, it wasn't, it wasn't a grind getting up early every morning and having to make sure everything was ready for morning. And Um, but yeah, uh, that was always good, but I never got to you know, yeah, take out where one guy tagged out and I got to sit in front of the camera and, and do that. <laughs> uh, different yes. different shows, you know, uh do that, but generally they're both on TV, you know, so right. they're right. one one'll just switch and run the camera and the other one'll be on T V and yeah i don't have a face for tv <laughs>
1: <laughs> well hey you uh you definitely have a, a, a knack for finding your way around the woods and uh, a lot of that probably comes from the career you mentioned you're you're uh um a forester by trade which i just think is one of the coolest yeah. jobs on the planet and uh you know it makes me also wonder too so as a as a forester who's also a deer hunter and you're not the first forester actually that we've had on the show uh miss laura upham who is a a forester in uh delaware and uh, in maryland as well i believe um uh, she's been on the show and uh talking about sika deer hunting out on the delmarva uh region of our country um but um I kind of asked her this question too, so I'm going to ask you. So being a forester and a deer hunter, do you ever do any, uh, shed hunting or, uh, deer scouting while you're on the job?
0: Oh, I, I, uh, I found a lot of deer antlers on the job to the point where I, I would, uh, I actually had a supervisor tell me one time, Hey, can you just not bring them in the office? Some of the other guys think you're, you know, looking for antlers instead of working and I just kind of laughed. I'm like, all right. And then it was the day after, it was like the day after he told me that or the second we were uh, overseeing a tree planting crew and I picked up six fresh antlers off of one cut. And I I called my supervisor. I go, are you, are you messing with me? Because I just found six antlers And, and he's like, no, I'm not messing with you. Seriously. I didn't plant them out there. I'm like, well, I'm picking up. I'm picking up antlers like everywhere I look out here and, you know, I'm just out there doing my job. And right. it's, it's just a perk. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, for sure. So, yeah. If the work's getting done. Perk you of know. the
0: job. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. And scouting, that's, I've actually uh, found some big sheds that have led to me hunting in certain areas and uh, yeah, from, from work, you know, you find them at work and, and go, all right, I'm going to be, hunting in here come fall so um a couple times it's worked out
1: man that's awesome i'll tell you what if you got it if you can get a picture of your shed pile or some of your favorite sheds i'd love to see them. i'm a uh i'm not i'm not near as good of a shed hunter as it sounds like you are but um i uh sure love shed hunting that's uh yeah, uh, I, I have a hard time choosing between if I like deer hunting or shed hunting more. I think it just depends on what season I'm in. <laughs> but uh,
0: I, I I like it. I like them both equally, and uh, I I really enjoy looking for moose antlers. And oh, Northern Minnesota, we have moose up in that country, so that's that's probably my favorite. But uh, it's just because. they're right, such Brian, big I'm coming. Antlers. I'm
1: coming to visit Good. you. I can't I can't you, you got you don't have to twist my arm anymore. I'm coming to visit. <laughs> yeah. No, but, that's uh that's uh fantastic, man. That's uh that's a dream of mine comes to find the some and,
0: the cold and snow. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And we and we got a mutual uh connection up there too, I believe. Uh Mr. Joe Shed, he knows how to find a few yep. anglers. Uh he wrote a book about it. So uh maybe we the three of us could uh get together sometime. You guys could show me around the uh big uh northern woods sometime that'd be i'd love that
0: well i know joe is always up for an adventure so that's uh that's a good thing about him
1: yep that's right he's a he's a good guy for sure he's been on the show a few times too but um let's uh let's get talking now about uh um hunting this late season and i'm really glad that you have your experience of hunting all over whitetail country Uh, Just because I think that'll serve well in, in uh, making this kind of a well-rounded episode. Um, You're doing most of your hunting and your work in the, the Northern big woods. And so, um, you know, things will probably tend to go back to that, but I think it's good to have that comparison sake there because, you know, I remember when I first started, uh, messaging Joe actually through, um, I think it was Facebook, like three, maybe even four years ago. I'd, I'd heard him on another podcast, heard him on wired to hunt. And, uh, that's when I first learned of him. And, uh, they mentioned his book on there and, and I was a, you know, first gen hunter. So also a first gen shed hunter, you know, so I was new to shed hunting and I was like, man, I need to, I really need to read that book. And, um, so I read his book and I, I, uh, started uh, messaging him about some different shed hunting questions I had, and we had some good conversations. And, um, I remember in one of our conversations, you know, I'm basically wanting to be like, dude, tell me where to look. And he was like, where I live is so different from where you live. It's not going to be the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, that's really when I started to get this idea of, huh, just because you're in Wisconsin doesn't mean that you know you're in farm country you know like it is down oh, here yeah. in, in iowa in fact when i started to really think about it and think about my experiences in in wisconsin it's like that totally makes sense you know because i'd been up to uh I, th- I think the farthest north i've been in wisconsin is like the apostle islands uh you know bayfield yep. that that kind of area
0: Bayfield and, county yeah
1: yep yep and uh um you know it's like start thinking i it, was like yeah you know what that's nothing but forest up that forest and lakes you know and yeah and it is a totally different world even though it's not that far from nothing but farm country and so i think it's really no, important, I'm, important to draw that line you know between what you're hunting you know say you go out tomorrow and and you're hunting what you're going to be hunting is a totally different situation than somebody
0: here in iowa oh definitely
1: okay all you fellow first gen hunters veteran hunters and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into i'm talking directly to you right now and this is a personal testimony you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth and that is because i am a customer of good old alex gruen over at east to west hunts and i'm going to tell you right now there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough alex is i'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after i get done recording this ad i'm going to use a promo code that alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks On a really nice hunting pack that I've had my eye on for months now and uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday got it in the mail or something he said you know what I'm gonna save this for you I know you got your eye on this pack he sent it to me Alex has sent me workout tips Alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes and he's got connections all over the place so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt but you can be comfortable get a good night's sleep and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there and i think that's probably the biggest value in all of this alex has so much experience hunting all over north america that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com. And do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though when you go through and you start checking out all the options. I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast listener code first gen 10 at checkout. When you enter that in, you'll get 10% off of any service you purchase through Alex. Again, that's ww alexgruen.com use the promo code FirstGen. the number 10 at checkout save yourself 10 percent and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years
0: the big area of, of woods up in this region uh, in northern minnesota and northern wisconsin you know it, it it's even up in the upper peninsula of michigan that whole region is it's mainly woods. There's mm-hmm. not much for agriculture. There's not much for farm fields up here. Um it's just yeah, trees. <laughs> lots yeah. and lots yeah. of trees. And yeah. So it, it it's very different. Um and you know, Wisconsin's got a different scenario too. Wisconsin you can legally bait. Iowa you can't. Right. Um so you know I would say a lot of guys up in this country tend to rely on the bait. Uh, I try and keep diverse myself. I, I've used it. It's not my favorite. I try it and I don't know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes I get frustrated with it, but, uh, you know, it's just one more thing you can, uh, try here that you can't in some other States. Um, but like you, like you've said, I've, I've been fortunate to, hunt uh you know i've hunted saskatchewan i've hunted alberta um iowa i've filmed in iowa i've filmed in you know ohio it's all these different states have it's it's kind of unique every state's a little different and uh it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to see that difference i think that's the best part of traveling to hunt is just to get that experience and see it but up here, it's big woods, not a lot of agriculture, so patterning deer is difficult unless you're trying to pattern them over a bait pile. Um, sure. You know, I the big clear cuts in, in the wintertime, you can uh, definitely get some deer. They use that browse species. As soon as the snow starts really stacking up, they, they start changing their diet from, you know, munching on clover to now they're eating twigs and browse and uh so if you you know where to look and what you're looking for you can definitely find deer um
1: yeah so, you know, so, so now you're 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 cutting into one of my questions here which I'm really glad you did that because I think this is probably how most people define deer deer country cover and food and so you're starting to talk yeah. there a little bit about food is cover pretty much uniform in that part of the world, like I mean you know one patch of trees no. over here is just as good as that patch of trees over there, so deer could be
0: bedding in either area, or do
1: they have little pockets within there
0: when it gets really cold, thermal cover um you know up in this area, we have northern white cedar, we got okay, yep. you know white pine, we got red even red pine plantations, um you know that thermal cover, balsam fir. Where, any anything that's given the deer, you know, a little bit of uh, cover that the heat's not, you know, totally escaping the earth. Because when it gets really bitter cold, they'll go into them, into them thickets that uh, are darker timber, just to, you know, for some reason. I don't know if it's just to block the wind, probably more than anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it typically. You know, if you get really deep snow, uh, deer will yard up in those cedar swamps and, you know, they'll, uh, they tend to group up um, and use each other's trails. You know, once they start packing trails down, they use less energy, you know, by being in them big groups. And it's all about trying to stay alive at that point. I can't imagine being a deer trying to live in northern Wisconsin or northern Minnesota through a tough tough winter i i absolutely can't imagine it so yeah Um, it's it, totally amazing animal so yeah um in hunting them i mean you got a a challenge there too just trying to stay warm on the stand uh typically yeah, i bet <laughs> I, I i think the hunting gets better as it gets colder the colder the temperature the more they need to feed, and the more daylight activity you're going to see, in my opinion. So, oh, yeah, that's a good uh, point. Just because it's
1: just because it's more calorically advantageous, if that's even a a real phrase, uh, uh, to be out and about when the sun is beating on them, and they uh, aren't spending so much on moving around and grazing and browsing, and uh, and and also, you know, maintaining body temp. Do you feel like that's why there's just more of that daylight activity? And then when it's, you know, at night when temps really bottom out, they're just hunkered down. Is that is that kind of what your thought what pattern is there?
0: Yeah, a little bit. And I just think they need, they're burning so many calories. I just think they need to actually consume more. and oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, they're so up, that... and up and about. Yeah, Yeah. so they're up and about a little bit more just because they're burning through the calories faster than they can probably take it in. So, uh, you know, they go through their fat, they go through their fat reserves pretty fast when it, you know, hits negative temps like this. Right. Like I said earlier, it was 35 degrees when we started this podcast and, you know, it's 33 now. Uh, Sunday night, we're supposed to get a snow, some snow I'm not sure how much yet, but then going into Monday, Monday night, they're talking in this region, negative seven. Oh, and, wow. uh, so that's Monday night, Tuesday night, those two nights, I have a feeling are going to be for the muzzleloader hunters or the bow hunters that are, uh, going to be out on the stand. I think they're going to, you know, if they can stay warm, they're going to have a good shot right at, right at last light, um, to get a good buck, hopefully as so,
1: yeah yeah definitely so, so i'll be in the
0: tree <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and yeah. i'm gonna ask you about that here in a few minutes i'm gonna ask you you know where where are you gonna find uh brian rusk hanging out on uh, you know to try and get a get a deer this time of the year with a bow but we'll we'll get there here in just a second um you know so the food or so for cover then we're looking for a lot of those evergreen uh type species of trees and really low hanging branches i imagine you know just to kind of provide more of that insulation value and and uh that's close to the the body of the deer and and also you know nice windbreak um but you know you mentioned this a little bit what specific food sources are you looking for um in the late season
0: you know it, it, it depends on where i'm hunting but i like uh if I'm going to be hunting natural openings, clear cuts, uh, red osier dogwood, I look for red stems, uh, you know, the red osier dogwood, the maples, um, those mm. tend to be the preferred browse in this area, you know, sure. for, for deer. Um, and just, uh, if there's no snow and there's still, you know, any acorns around from the oaks, if they, if there is, you'll be able to see it. If there's a little bit of snow, they'll, they'll dig at them acorns until they can't reach them anymore. Mm. Um, you know, now my personal property, I have several food plots. I've right now I've got three acres in soybeans. And, uh, oh, okay. so yeah. if you, if you do have, if you do have something like that going where I've actually taken the time to plant and grow them up, I, uh, you know early on this spring I mean it's for me it's a year round obsession and i uh planted a bunch of real world soybeans and and uh they're doing well and i've got a fair amount of deer using them but nothing right now that i'm interested in chasing as far as a buck so uh, sure. the, the buck i'm interested in chasing right now he's he's totally off in his own world and i lost track of him (laughs) missing in action
1: (laughs) well hopefully he saunters back out during that late season maybe right into your your uh, soybean plot but um yeah yeah that's all that's all super useful information so when you were talking about some of those browse species are those all i know maple is uh generally considered to be kind of a, a softwood right i mean like uh compared to you know, well, maples
0: light. a maple's more of a hardwood. Um, oh, okay. You're yeah, softwood. You're, you're You're, soft you're the forest and, your and, <laughs> and Yep. Yep. So, um, but it's just a, a better browse species. You know, they sure. they tend to like that. Um, it, you know, with my job, I've always had an interesting thing too. If we get a lot of snow um, early on you get a active timber sale where there's a lot of trees down. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be, they can be great late season spots. I'll, I'll, uh, talk to the loggers. Oh
1: yeah. Cause they'll be
0: handling generally, the generally. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll just nip at the end of the buds that are laying on mm-hmm. the ground. I mean, it, it, um, putting all them tops on the ground really, it attracts a ton of deer and, I don't think most people really notice it, but,
2: uh, you know, when
0: I go out, when I go out and check on a logger in the middle of the winter time, I'm kicking deer the entire time and the loggers will laugh. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll say, yeah, as I'm picking the drag up to bring it, you know, to the landing, the deer are still nipping the buds off the back end of it. The deer are really not scared of the equipment. And, uh, so I've used that to my advantage a few times, so I'll just, you know go out and get on the edge of one of them active sales, and generally the loggers shut down you know a little bit before dark and uh since they don't mind the machines they're they're out moving around and uh, had some good opportunities that way in the past as well.
1: oh man, yeah, that's a great little tip there, yeah, so so hitting after those maples, and I've heard of that too down here actually, that you know usually what happens is we get kind of like one of our first couple frosts. We'll start really getting the maples to drop their leaves and uh um you know if there's still some green left in those leaves you know the white tails down here will even you know kind of go after those too so yeah it's all uh it's all it's all good information and you know what else is it's kind of interesting about that I heard somebody make this point recently and it was kind of like oh yeah but they said a deer is not a corn eater or a soybean eater by nature. They are by adaptation, a corn eater and a soybean eater, correct? Because that's what we've done to the landscape. Yeah. But they are a browser. They're, you know, they're they're, they're me- a browser. Yeah, they're meant to be eating yeah. what you guys have to offer up there in in your neck of the woods. Correct. And so yeah. that's uh, you know, there's something about that I think that makes it a little bit. I don't know, more pure maybe. And, and, uh, and, you know, you're seeing a, you're seeing a, 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 probably a more historically correct, more ancient version of the species, you know?
0: Yep. Yeah. So in, in, uh, Minnesota where I've done quite a bit of bull hunting up in that country, uh, you know, there's, there's no bait allowed up in that area. And, so you're that's what you're looking for you're looking for brows. you're looking for you know sign of you know that they're you get into the cedar swamps okay yep they're reaching up and they're nipping at them branches anything that's lower hanging and, um even stuff that's blowing over uh, i mean you, you have a tree that blows over a cedar tree and they'll strip every green branch huh. everything off i mean and so if you're lucky enough and you find something like that, it can be a little hot spot. And, you know, I think back on it, back when I was young, I'd find spots and sit on stuff like that. And I never, I didn't have a, you know, scouting cameras or anything like that. Right. So nowadays, nowadays you could actually put a camera up and see if there's any good bucks using it or not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Wisconsin over here, like I said, a lot of guys, uh, this time of year, they're, they're putting the corn. I think, uh, it's a two gallon limit per person per day. So, okay. you know, if you want to go out and, um, try and get the deer to come in that way, guys do it. Uh, I've done it like it sometimes, but this time of year it's, uh, you know, that's that food source that they're, they're going to. So, sure. um, it's a very popular way way up in the northern part of the state to hunt.
1: Sure. No, that's uh that's all uh, fascinating to me just seeing the difference and a true testament to to how diverse white tailed deer are and I mean when you look at every state that they're hunted here in in North America it's pretty pretty incredible and really, you know, even the the coos deer of the southwest um they're uh really, you know, just a, a uh, not even technically a subspecies just a just a smaller variant of a white-tailed deer you know genetically yeah uh, different enough to that's kind of how they've adapted to that landscape down there where there's just less nutrition available less uh you know less water less nutrition so you got less deer right (laughs) literally (laughs) yeah and and it's just cool to see how how different that animal can be all throughout um, this continent and uh, it's very
0: very adaptive built to survive yes
1: yep and what makes them a worthy opponent to us is not only that but they're really good at avoiding danger and so you know when you're setting up a stand during this time of year that's another thing that you got to really uh you know factor in just like any other time of the year how do i remain undetected but close enough to where they're at so you're hitting these food sources you're looking for these these uh you know i i assume you're kind of almost doing it like shed hunting you know where you're looking at okay where's a spot that's going to have both food and cover in close proximity so that there again there's that that uh advantage of not have to burn a lot of calories in transporting themselves in between those areas and uh it's just gonna yep. be where they a lot of their hours are going to be spent and so and what what kind of what kind of oh go ahead go ahead add to that
0: it, it's something that sometimes around here people don't you know i uh you you go down to Iowa when I've been down there I've mm-hmm. been on the edge of a farm field and and I kind of just look around and go, wow, where are the deer even living? There's nothing, there's no trees. By the time it, by the time it gets dark, the field's full of deer and I just can't believe it. Well, up here, so, you know, the deer there are going from bedding to feeding. Well,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: up here, bedding and feeding are sometimes, you know, right in the same spot. They'll just (laughs) bed down because it's, it's all cover. So, uh, they're not always traveling from point A to point B sure. um, around, around here, they might be bedding on a Southern slope that gives them plenty of sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, in the wintertime. And then they, they might stand up from their bed and, and browse on Woody browse for an hour. And then they might have a destination. Maybe their destination's, uh, you know, somebody's bait pile a quarter mile away, but you know, huh, they know that's not safe. So, they wait till dark to go into that and you know it's it's different sometimes uh there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities of what a deer is doing around this area but yeah there's not always a distinct bedding area you know versus feeding they might be browsing and just decide you know it's a good spot to lay down and they lay down and uh you know, so if you follow in their tracks in the winter time, you, you'll actually see that you'll be like, okay, they're browsing here, they're browsing here. Oh, there's a bed. Oh, they stood up and there they browse, browse, and it's just uh it's kind of different sometimes. Um, you know, where I actually like where I know if they're bedding over in a thicket over here and coming to this soybean field. To me, that makes it a little easier hunting,
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right?
0: Then I then I have. I, I have that knowledge of where they're going to be bedding and where I think they're going to be feeding. But, um, up in this country, it can be a little, a little difficult sometimes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a, you know, a great way to kind of sum up that part of it, looking for that, that, uh, spot where deer spend the most of their time. Um, but how are you, uh, how are you hunting it then? So let's say you come across one of these just prime bedding and feeding, you know, late season bedding and feeding areas and uh, there's good access so you know you're not going to be walking in there and blowing every deer out of there um as you're as you're approaching what what does a you know what kind of spot are you looking for so that you can hunt it exactly how you
0: want to hunt it oh, that's a tough question i mean i'm definitely looking at how to access it and then prevailing winds sure um
1: are you going to you be, know. are you going to be looking to hunt from an elevated position or, or are you going to be doing more of the still hunting, you know, where you're,
0: you know, I, I doing tend a little to walking around most of the time? Yeah. I tend to, I tend to sit and, uh, get into a spot and let the deer travel past me. You know? okay, so I, sure. I tend to get up in the tree most of the time. Um, sure. Are you doing that with a hang used or? Some, I've used, I, I, I like, lo- I tend to use a lone wolf. Okay. Um I have them, I tape a lot of my equipment. Uh sounds crazy, but I use a lot of hockey tape, something that I picked up from uh filming up in Edmonton. Okay, I yeah. Filmed up in the Ed- Edmonton Boat uh Edmonton Bozone several times with Jim Holt Jr. and he he tapes everything. And main reason in the to- cold temps if you bump your stand with mm-hmm. there's just it, it deadens that metallic noise. Um, but I like to, you know, if if I'm keeping mobile, uh, go in with a lone wolf set of sticks and throw them on and hang and hunt and, uh, you know, just, I might change my hunt from there. If I decide to, you know, move in a little further or maybe back out, you know, I I don't always hit the same spot. Um, you know, and then that's, that's my preferred method on if I'm you know, just going to sneak into a new area, uh, would be doing it that way. Some guys like climbers. Um, I, I don't like climber cause you need a perfect tree. I oh, like yeah. something that, you know, and I don't want to have to limb, you know, limb branches if I don't have to. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, for, for me, it's all about trying to be quiet, I guess. So,
1: yeah, Did what about saddle hunting? Does anybody do any, uh, prep any trees for
0: saddle hunting out that way or not really? I don't know any of my buddies that use saddles. I've never tried one. Um, you know, I, it it might work for some guys that are running gun style, but for the most parts around here, uh, I do a lot of shed hunting and in the spring of the year I'm shed hunting and I prep spots. So I'll have a tree ready to go and I just mark it on my onyx
1: and, Hmm. um, you know, then
0: when, then when the wind's blowing the right direction, I look at, you know, my onyx and go, where do I want to go today? And, (laughs) you know, I go, I haven't been to that spot yet and I'll go, I'll go sit and hang out for a night and, uh, try it. And that tends to work out. All right. So I, I I I bet I prep more spots that I never use. You know, I, I go this looks great, and I get it all ready just in case, and then I've, I never sit it. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of prep, a lot of preparation, and sometimes you just never use it. Sure. So, um, and that's just one way of doing it, you know. And you know, I do have spots, like I said, right now I've got cell cameras running, and oh. Uh, toward my hunting camp and you know right now there's I can look at it and see if there's any deer feeding over set stands and there's bait there
2: so yeah.
0: you know if, uh, if if something starts showing up regular you know that's an option too uh yeah but like I said right now I, I haven't had any luck with that so I'm going to be hunting tomorrow and I've kind of been looking at the wind and I'm just going to go out, like I said, with a set of climbing sticks and hang out for the night and see what's around. And if I don't see anything, you know, try another spot tomorrow, the the night after.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. One other thing I want to ask you too, about going along and really we've, we've been talking about the behavior of deer really through this and, and um, how you're adjusting to that. But I got to think that another big part of your plan here is deer are probably a little bit different now than they were before the gun season. Do do you notice a shift? Totally. Yeah. And that as, as a response to that pressure, you do.
0: I totally see it every year. Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons I kind of stopped rifle hunting. Um, unfortunately, you know, I mean, it's good and bad, but I, I tend to hunt my own lands a lot and, uh, you know so i've got land that i share with other guys well they don't bow hunt at all and i can see how that pressure of having those other guys on the property changes the deer it's like a sure. light switch and uh that goes on across the whole you know north woods uh every bit of public ground you know somebody walks through it that it it definitely changes how the deer are using areas and, uh, it sends them into a little bit more nocturnal pattern. And that's, what's really been frustrating lately is all the deer, they seem to have, it's, it's two things. It's the rut is winding down and that pressure. Yeah. Um, so with the rut winding down, these bucks have been chasing hard for the whole month of November and now they're just, they're kind of, uh, taking a little, a break so right it's almost almost like you said october it feels like a little lull right now and uh but they should be they should be trying to pack on some winter weight here to you know so they should be putting on the feed bag is what i'm i'm hoping so yeah
1: yeah yeah and and th- it's interesting that you say that and You know, I I guess when I asked that question, I was thinking of the pressure from gun season, mostly just being in the number of hunters that are in the woods. But then you kind of started bringing up another idea too. A lot of these deer have survived deer drives and deer pushes where people have walked right through what we bow hunters consider to be the sanctuary on the property. Someone's gone traipsing through there and maybe even, you know, hollering out to a, a hunting buddy or something to court, you know, cause you got to coordinate and be safe. You know, there's, it's been, it's been total chaos in the woods for the deer. So yeah, that's a good point I that think, you bring up there too, that, that would just motivate them to uh, be more of a nocturnal animal at that point.
0: Yeah. I tend to, I always joke. I tell people I hunt stupid places because I look for places that, you know, all right, I know, and I can, I can be in a, uh forester and working in the woods i can see where people are parking especially if there's snow on the ground you you can mm-hmm. see where they're going into the woods and i look for them over overlooked areas that all right well here's a spot uh, it's not very far from the road but um you know sometimes those spots yeah. are just just as good as going two miles back because one you don't have to uh get in you to get in quiet it's a lot easier to go in a hundred yards sometimes than it is to go in a half mile without breaking branches and disturbing deer but uh i don't you know don't always do that there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of lazy hunters that don't get too far off the road also so
1: i've actually used that as a big part of my shed hunting strategy now it kind of goes a little it's going to sound a little opposite of what you just said but really it is the same thing so in your case the roads represent less human pressure than the middle of the woods after gun season <laughs> and and, and uh, seems like th- it and they're so they're moving to that area of lower pressure I have definitely used areas of lower pressure as a priority human pressure I'm talking as as a yep. way, way to prioritize where I'm going to be looking for sheds and I've definitely seen it pay off deer just they they want to be left alone and not that you won't you know i've also found sheds that i mean i found a shed once that was about i don't know 20 feet from a parking lot (laughs) but at a at a at a public park and uh you know i i've so i've i've found sheds and areas where there are there's a lot of human activity but you know i think you're gonna you're going to find more sheds and therefore more deer. If you seek out those areas that are more remote, less bothered. And sometimes that may mean hunting the ground that's close to the parking lot because they know no one's running an active deer drive or setting up a tree stand
0: or, or anything like that right by the parking lot. So one thing that I think the reason I fell in love with shed hunting is because, there's nothing better than picking up a giant set of antlers and mm-hmm. going, "Wow, yep. this buck stood right here."
1: Exactly.
0: And he yep. was standing right here, and go. And then you think, "Why was he here? Yep. What What brought him to this spot?" Now this goes right into late season hunting. Where do you pick up sheds? Where deer are in the late season. Yep. So, shed hunting and late season hunting, they go hand in hand, mm-hmm. and they're they're totally ones in the spring and ones that you know it's just you're you are walking the ground looking for antlers and when you find those antlers you're like all right there's deer using this area in the late season yep um and and you got to try and figure out what are they using it for are they there for the cover are they there for the food um it's that's basically why i started shed hunting and what i love about it is it tells me where to go and uh yeah you know, that's, that's uh, a big reason for what, what I do, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. 100%. So, yeah. So there's some, there's some excellent tips in there, you know, find that, find that late season cover, uh, maybe find yourself a mobile setup like a lone wolf setup, or maybe you can try out that tree saddle method, or if you can find the right tree or have the time to prep a tree, maybe you can do the climber game. Maybe not though. I think, Brian brings up a really good point there, um, as to why he doesn't use them, um, for his, his specific application. Um, and, and take a look at how that pressure is going to affect where these deer are going to be prioritizing these, you know, nice, uh, feeding and, and, uh, bedding areas that, that provide those advantages, but also a low pressure environment, especially after surviving a gun season, when that is more of a priority to them—to feel that security, um, to just be away from humans a little bit, and then, you know, play the wind like like Brian said. And if you really want to confirm where you should be, get out there and look for those sheds. That and that's what I love to hear. That's a uh, that's a uh, really uh, important tip there too. You know, kind of one last uh, topic I want to hit here with you, Brian, is hunting the late season can be kind of, I don't know. It's not really something that probably a lot of bow hunters want to be in that position where they want, they're they're looking to fill a bow tag and they got to be out there for the late season to get it done. Uh, not that they don't like being out there hunting, but, you know, you just like to have gotten sealed the deal by that point, you know. How do mm-hmm. you how do you stay mentally, you know, in it, and and even to some extent, right, emotionally in it, when you're bow hunting the late season? Do you got any any tips or tricks for how you uh, stay on the top of your game going into the late season with a bow tag?
0: You know, I just figure anything can happen at any time. You know, no. you're just uh, you know, there's there's no good. For me, there's no good way. It's very easy to go make excuses like, oh, I'm not seeing anything on my cameras. I'm not, you know, uh, you know, the buck I'm looking, the buck I'm looking for hasn't been around in two weeks. And, um, I just have that drive that, all right, well, even if the deer that I'm looking for isn't around, I know he's there somewhere. And I can't kill them from the couch, so I I push myself maybe mm. too maybe too hard sometimes. Sure. Um, the one thing I do like about late season, I'm mainly hunting evenings. I'm I'm not getting up and going out and freezing in the morning because it's just the coldest time of day. And I have it, certain situations I might, but uh, for the most part. I would say 99% of my hunts are evening hunts okay. um, and I just, uh, you know, keep pushing myself because I know, you know, I'm not going to kill a deer from the couch Yeah. and I've hunted some very, very bad weather and had good success. Um, I, I, Killed a pretty nice ten pointer in the middle of a blizzard. I've, I've killed a couple deer in the middle of a blizzard huh. when most guys most guys would be like, "Oh, the deer are uh, they're going to be hunkered down and they're not moving, so I'm not going out." Uh, one of those snowstorms was during the rut, so I knew the deer were still going to be on sure, their feet. Yeah. You know, they're 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 rutting bucks, and uh, one of them was was later, but. Um, if you got a storm that's blowing and blowing and blowing and blowing for, you know, quite a, let's say it it goes on for over a day. Well, deer, deer can't just lay down for a day. They have to feed. Right. Right. Um, they're, they're a ruminous animal and, you know, they, uh, have four chambers just like a cow and they need to feed every so many hours and then they'll lay down and chew their cud. So. Uh, I, I, I've been out in some very, very nasty weather hunting when most people don't. And, you know, uh, for me, I've, I've killed a couple, you know, maybe I was just looking to fill a doe tag and, you know, I'll, I'll go out and that's fun still hunting and, and just finding a set of tracks and
1: oh, following yeah. in the
0: snow. That's, that's a little, that's fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's I, like, I you a little taste of that new England way of hunting deer. Yep which I think is so I remember
0: cool. years ago I, I shot a doe, um, and that's what I did. I found a set of tracks, and I just started following and following, and pretty soon there she was, and she was feeding, and it was snowing like crazy. She was feeding on some cedars down in the bottom, and I just slowly made my way toward her and, you know, uh, got lucky and made a 15-yard shot. Oh, man. Didn't go that far, so, you know, wish it would have been a j- but in that case, I was uh, just trying to fill a doe tag, and that was that was many years ago. I was that's probably, yeah, cool. uh, still in my teens even. So
1: wow, that's cool. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, just making making the most of the situation, which I think is probably the best way to sum up the attitude every one of us should have as we go into the late season this year. I did fill my yeah. muzzleloader tag back in October, but I still got a bow tag to fill. And, um, yeah, I get to carry that into the late season. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to really, you know, kind of have that lemonade <laughs> viewpoint, right? Life gives you lemons, make some lemonade. Life gives you the late yep. season, go out and, uh, you know, take, take advantage of the new unique opportunities that are provided by that. So I, uh, I, uh, love that attitude. I think that's exactly how we should all, be looking at it and you know what it takes a lot of pressure off when you look at it that way too because you're doing it for the you're doing it for the right reasons you're going out there because it's just another way to enjoy the woods and another way to enjoy you know being out in in nature and and taking it all in and see enjoying every season of it and so yeah i think i think there's a ton of value there to to keep in Reasons to keep focused on, on trying to accomplish that goal and be fully invested and fully present in that time. So, Well, hey, Brian, I'm so thankful that you're willing to come on the show tonight. If listeners would like to track you down, sounds like they they can maybe uh, find on occasion an article by you in, uh, what was it, Bowhunter Magazine, North American Whitetail, and, and anywhere else?
0: Yeah, Big Buck magazine was the other one that I'd, I've written for a little bit, Okay. but 10, tend to mostly eh, for the most part, North American Whitetail and bow hunter have been the two that I've, uh, sure. written for in the past. I honestly haven't written anything, uh, lately, so I don't have anything out right now, but, um, yeah, it's just, for me, it's more of a, a hobby. I have a full-time job and, Uh, when I am inspired, I write, you know, and sometimes it's an elk article. Sometimes it's a whitetail article. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to, I don't, I, I like to write, but I, it's, it's a different feeling for me. Even this podcast, I mean, there's, you could interview hundreds of guys that have killed bigger bucks, more deer, whatever you name it. Uh, and so it's, when I write, I, I just have to be inspired and I like to tell a good story. And, um, that's for me what it's all about. I, I try not to be boastful or anything like that. There's, there's a lot of guys out there that are much better hunters than I. So, you know, I just, uh, I like to be out there.
1: Well, I'll tell you uh, what, I think you're being a little modest. I, I've, uh, I've learned enough about you that you're a good hunter.
0: It's part of who I am. I, I, I'm going to hunt and uh if you put enough time out there you you know you're gonna get lucky so
1: (laughs) yeah that's there's there's a lot of truth to that too but but yeah like i was saying i I know you're a good hunter and uh that's why i've really valued getting you on here on the show and really have had that on the back of my mind ever since uh this past summer when we were uh, recording that little blurb for um uh the zach uh Pulaski interview and and uh that that show and and uh just really uh thrilled to have gotten you on here so make sure you guys uh keep well, an eye out for anything written by brian or maybe you see his name in the credits uh for a hunting show or something as being one of the cameramen um, but certainly be uh looking for him to uh, be capitalizing on all these different ways that he uh, connects the dots and even does a little bit of preparation for uh, late season hunting opportunities and uh, serves as a good reminder to us just how many opportunities there are that exist and we just got to look for a way to take advantage of them but uh thank you brian so much for coming on the show thank you to the listeners yeah. for uh, uh tuning in to another episode make sure you uh, don't forget about our f- favorite uh two co-hosts that we uh have from time to time, good old Brandon Martin from The Hunt Fish Life out there on the Eastern Seaboard in the great second smallest state of Delaware. And uh you can uh of course uh go to thehuntfishlife.com and there you'll find the stuff that they have going on. And uh, you can, of course, visit them on social media as well on both Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you follow along and and get to know them. And uh, don't forget about Alex, AlexGruen.com. Don't forget about the promo code FirstGen10. Save yourself a bunch of bucks off of a really top-tier hunt plan hunt planning service for all over this continent. And uh, you're, you're really not going to be able to to tap into a better thing there than what Alex has going on. And uh, then when you're done visiting those guys, uh, of course, I always tell you, come see me at firstgenhunter.com. See some of my articles. Check out all the other podcast episodes that we have. This is episode 75, by the way. So uh, that I don't know. That, that just feels significant. Brian, you're on uh it's the big seven. one yeah, yeah the, the three qu- three quarters uh the way to the century mark here so uh <laughs> I'm, I'm really uh really uh thankful that you could join us i'm sure you pass this uh, oh, thank you yeah for sure and to all of our listeners be sure you pass this podcast around to people you know people that you think uh would uh just uh, enjoy having another way to uh be obsessed about hunting and and plug into more hunting content, but also folks that you think uh, may just be interested in getting started hunting. Uh, That's really, uh, um, you know, our our biggest goal here at First Gen Hunter is just empowering those folks who want to take hunting to the next level, whatever level that may be. So thank you again, everyone. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting.